The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts forever know His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Oh, the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus, The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome again to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In the first four episodes, we continued our study of types and shadows with the story of Moses the Deliverer. Beginning in part one, we saw how that Egypt was the type of sin and how Israel, God's people, are the type of all those who are in bondage to sin. We were introduced to Moses, who, like Jesus, was appointed as a deliverer for his own people. We saw how Moses, like Jesus, having the right to royalty, volunteered to humble himself as a servant to save his people. 
We saw how Moses, like Jesus, went out to his people to save them and was rejected. Having been rejected, we saw Moses, who, like Jesus, finds the seven daughters of Midian, which means strife in the desert. We saw Moses, who, like Jesus, provides salvation to the seven daughters, who are the type of the seven churches, ends their strife, and proceeds to provide them with water for their flock. Moses then enters into a relationship of marriage with Zipporah, whose name means to turn oneself about. This mirrors the substance Jesus, whose desire is to enter into a relationship with all who are willing by faith, through grace, to repent, i.e. to turn from their own way, rebellion, and accept his imputed righteousness on our behalf. We saw Moses' two children by way of his marriage to Zipporah, Gershom, and Eleazar. We saw Moses who, like Jesus, shepherds his flock, feeding and pasturing them at the foot of God's mountain, where they wait patiently as God prepares Moses to return his people Israel, who are in blindness, and deliver them from bondage. In the third episode, we saw Moses' encounter with the angel at the burning bush. In this encounter, we saw a meeting between Moses and the eternal God by his own name, I Am, as later revealed by his son Jesus, the second person of the Godhead. We saw the interplay via the various Hebrew words and types demonstrating how, like Moses, all mankind lacks any sufficiency based upon any keeping of the law, any merits, any works to approach God. Man is barred from standing on God's holy ground by sin. Anyone attempting to approach apart from being covered by Jesus' shed blood will encounter the point of the sword and the prick of death as seen earlier in the burning bush. In part four, we saw the substantive resolution to the conundrum of the brief incident where the angel of the Lord seek Moses' life but is stayed by Zipporah, who circumcises their firstborn son, Gershom. In this episode, beginning in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, we find Moses and Aaron, whose name means light-bearer, contacting Pharaoh and presenting God's demand for Pharaoh to let his people go from bondage in Egypt to serve him. In verse 2, we read Pharaoh's response, which says, Quote, and Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Unquote. In our unfolding type, I would suggest casting Aaron as the type of the Holy Spirit, like the substance. Aaron does not speak of himself but rather is the proxy mouthpiece of Moses, who is the type of Jesus the Deliverer, sent by God for the salvation of his people. Like Aaron, God's Spirit has the task of making the appeal from God to have God's people delivered from the bondage of Pharaoh and or Egypt, which is the type of sin. Pharaoh's response is uncannily reminiscent of the response by all mankind who remain in rebellion to God's call to salvation. It is the voice of rebellion, separation, and death which says in foolish defiance, quote, Who is the Lord? Unquote. 
There are countless verses which declare the sad truth of this mindset and choice, including Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, quote, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good, unquote. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, quote, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you ever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you, unquote. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, quote, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened." Unquote. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, quote, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Unquote. Exodus chapter 5, verse 3, gives the response to Pharaoh, quote, And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us, Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Within this verse, there seems to be the sound of that inner conversation which all who repent, convert, and believe will experience. As the sinner is approached by the Holy Spirit and hears God call upon their heart to come, there is also present God's grace, which commands Pharaoh, who is the type of Satan and the flesh, to release us from the bondage of Egypt, which is the type of sin. All who do so are able to experience freedom from sin as a result of Jesus' sacrifice. This is what the reference to three days refers to in our verse, as Jesus points out in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Quote, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Unquote. Finally, we have the realization that if we do not respond to this call, we remain dead in our trespasses and sin, and the end result is that in time, all who remain in rebellion as visited with pestilence, sword, and death as the natural result of refusing life, peace, and joy. Next, we have Exodus chapter 5, verse 4, which says, quote, And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works? Get you into your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and ye make them rest from their burdens, unquote. 
This verse and the verses to follow clearly demonstrate the dichotomy to be found between God's way and man's way. With man's way, man believes that he may earn his way to heaven. Man's way is driven by man's own works and efforts to merit God's favor. In contrast, God is looking for faith in his ability by which he imputes grace which is unmerited favor to us. So here in this verse and the verses to follow, we see Pharaoh cast demonstrating the constant mindset of Satan. Both Pharaoh and Satan would have us focus on our works whereby we are kept in bondage to sin, i.e. Egypt. Further, Pharaoh recognizes the truth that Moses, who is the type of Jesus, would provide a way where there is rest from their burdens and their works. The reality of this truth is mirrored by Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, which says, quote, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." Unquote. Once we have tasted, seen, and known the way of rest provided only through the unlimited love, grace, and mercy of Jesus who is our righteousness, spiritual discernment reveals the truth that anything and everything we would attempt to add to Jesus' completed work is wood, hay, and stubble. This is precisely the predicament that those who are being delivered from Egypt find themselves in. The Israelites once had what they believed were mighty resources available to them by which they built magnificent structures for Egypt and for Pharaoh who are the types of sin and Satan. But in God's eyes, all those works, burdens, and efforts are fit for ultimate destruction and death. Another aspect of the story which parallels the substance is that when people repent of sin and rebellion, turn from their works and burdens to rest in the delivering grace through faith in Jesus, Satan's response is to double down on affliction and oppression to keep God's people in bondage to Egypt. In chapter 6, God turns his tone to clearly letting Moses know that Pharaoh has committed himself to rebellion, that God is committing himself to showing his people, Israel, that he is God. In verse 3 we read, quote, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them, unquote. In this case, God clearly delineates that prior to this point, he was known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, which means the Almighty and Powerful God. But up to this point, God had not revealed himself to his people by his name Jehovah. It should be noted that here again, the word translated Jehovah, is the same word translated with the words in commentary discussed earlier during Moses' encounter with the burning bush. In essence, God is here announcing the fact that while Moses met the substance of the deliverer in the burning bush, God was now intent that his people Israel 
would meet their deliverer via the power God would demonstrate. This being said, from Exodus chapter 7 through and including chapter 11, God lays out and executes ten plagues upon Egypt, which will ultimately set the stage to deliver his people Israel from their bondage to worship him in the promised land. Since we are studying types, shadows, and their substance, the question is, what, if any, significance do these plagues or judgments against Egypt have? There are essentially three theories offered to explain their significance. One, According to skeptics, atheists, and the secular, assuming we can agree the plagues even happened, then the plagues were simply a series of natural occurring phenomena which historically affected Egypt, but were mistakenly attributed or co-opted by religious enthusiasts as being acts of divine interaction. 2. The ten plagues were simply a historical series of divine miracles or acts of judgment by God against Egypt in order to demonstrate his power, punish Egypt and or Pharaoh, and facilitate delivering the Israelite people from bondage. And three, the ten plagues were everything described in three, two. However, within this series of historical events ordered by God, lies some principal type, or types, which represent a greater substance to be found somewhere in God's overall plan of salvation and judgment on mankind. In order to evaluate which of these theories holds the best promise, let's look briefly at what the ten plagues are. 1. Water turned to blood, found in Exodus chapter 7, verses 17 through 19. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in thine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thy hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone." 2. Frogs, found in Exodus chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house and into thy bedchamber and upon thy bed and into the house of thy servants and upon thy people and into thine ovens and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come upon both on thee and upon thy people and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand upon the thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt." 3. Lice, found in Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, 
Stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Unquote. Four flies found in Exodus chapter 8 verses 21 through 24. Quote, Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereupon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there to the end, that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, and into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. Unquote. 5. Cattle die. Found in Exodus chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. Quote, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous moraine, and the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is the children of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow. And all the cattle of Egypt died, but of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. Unquote. Six boils found in Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 through 10. Quote, and the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven, and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast." Unquote. 7. Hail, found in Exodus chapter 9, verses 22 through 26. Quote, and the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man, and upon beast, and upon every herb of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no Hail, unquote. 8. Locusts, 
found in Exodus chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. Quote, Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast, and they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field, and they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. Unquote. 9. Thick darkness for three days, found in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 23. Quote, and the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Unquote. 10. Firstborn die, found in Exodus chapter 11, verses 4 through 5. Quote, and Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even until the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts, unquote. Now the first observation is that each plague is an attack on one of the Egyptian gods. In almost every case we read the constant theme that one, if not the most important reason for the plagues, is that so that, quote, thou shalt know that I am the Lord, unquote. After 400 years in bondage, it is likely that many Israelites had forgotten or perhaps never learned of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It may also be that the view was that since they were in bondage, that God had forgotten them, or indeed there was no God. If there was a God, then perhaps much of Israel felt that because they were in bondage and suffering as they were, that the God of the Israelites appeared no more or no less real than the gods of the Egyptians. In many ways, this mindset and circumstance bears little difference to the situation today. Mankind looks around the landscape of the world now and in the last several thousand years and sees the history and results of man's rebellion and captivity to sin. Like many atheists, skeptics, and the like, they assume that since God has not delivered them into the paradise of their own desires, that God does not exist. To these, God has no more power or ability than any of the myriad gods of man's invention. In the end, they are like the Israelites who have forgotten or do not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like the Israelites, a large majority of mankind certainly does not know him by his revealed name of Yahweh. In the end, the Israelites will require seeing and experiencing judgment from the hand of God to believe and know Him by His name as their Deliverer. 
Just so, in the end days, mankind in large will require seeing and experiencing God's judgment upon the whole world before the truth is revealed to their hearts. Remember that these plagues had, if nothing else, the purpose under the earlier theory of being a historical series of divine miracles or acts of judgment by God against Egypt in order to demonstrate his power, punish Egypt and or Pharaoh, and facilitate delivering the Israelite people from bondage. You will recall that in reviewing the ten plagues upon Egypt that there was a basic reoccurring cycle of thought. In the beginning, as Moses and Aaron announced God's decree that Pharaoh's response was, quote, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Unquote, God would in each case announce through Moses of his specific intention to visit a judgment plague upon Egypt and Pharaoh. In each case, Pharaoh, who was stubborn, prideful, and rebellious, would respond not with any sense of awe, respect, or fear of God, Instead, Pharaoh's response was that his heart was hardened and he hearkened not unto God. And in each case, God followed through with his intended plagues of judgment, which caused great suffering, pain, and fear upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. In most cases, Pharaoh feigned the impression of repentance to God, but as soon as the plague was lifted, Pharaoh's heart once again hardened and the cycle repeated. As was pointed out earlier, it is easier to recognize the same foolish pride, rebellion, and spiritual blindness which was in Pharaoh in the atheist, skeptic, and secular humanist of today. But in a broader sense, because sin is at the heart of this attitude, every human, including those of the house of faith, must recognize that although we are justified, we have God's Spirit which bestows discernment, understanding, and realization that we are all called to continuing sanctification by grace through faith in Christ. The New Testament epistles, and in particular, the first three chapters of Revelation, are a focused report card from Jesus himself to his church, calling all within it to repent quickly. Like Pharaoh, Jesus reveals to John of his impending judgment and wrath to be poured out upon the world and all those in the world who, like Egypt, are in the rebellion of sin and who refuse to repent. In the cases of both Egypt and its ruler, as well as the world and its rulers during the time of God's outpouring wrath, we cannot help but wonder how people could be so very stubborn and rebellious. However, If indeed Pharaoh, Egypt, Moses, the Egyptians, the Israelites are types in this story, then the sobering truth is that the substance is that today, like then, God is calling all those who know him by his name to leave Egypt, i.e. sin, to repent, to be separate, to come out from Egypt, to leave Egypt to follow him to the foot of his mountain where we are intended to worship him in spirit and in truth. It is also a clarion warning to those who choose to rebel will be subject to his judgment and wrath to come. This concludes this episode. 
Please join me again for part six. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Yeah.